0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ecclesiastes. If you don't know where that is, that's excusable, because it's not one of my favorite books, but it's a good book to go to. If you go and open your Bible in the middle, and you turn uh, right and go Proverbs, it's right after right after uh, Proverbs. Um, and by the way, if you need a Bible, if you don't have a Bible that's readable, let us know. We have... Tons of them uh, that we would be happy to help you with. We're, we're winding up our series today on Solomon, and we've been talking about the, the turning points in his life, the good, and now we're at the bad points in his life. Those, those moments when the right decision makes all the difference, and the wrong decision messes up things really, really badly. We started out by looking at his coronation, at his calling, the calling on his life, and and he's chosen by God to be a leader of Israel, and and God makes him promises, And, and Solomon, you'll never be in a place of lack, God says to him, if you hold on to me, if you keep connected, if you obey me. Your life will be affected, your legacy will, be, will last for generations, and your God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. It was a time of great promise and great excitement, but then we, we went to the encounter that he has with God, and, and God shows up to Solomon and says, listen, ask me for anything, anything at all. And, and Solomon's heart is so pure and so open, and he says, listen, I just want to please you, and I want to be the best king that this, this nation could have, and so make me wise." And God says, you've asked for a good thing. You've asked for the right thing. And so you're not only going to be wise, but I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to give you renown. I'm going to give you not only wisdom, but, but, but every enriched leadership ability that you can imagine. And it's an amazing gift. And it, it, it's one of those, those moments in his life that you can actually feel the presence of God right there with him. We talked last week about some of the decisions that he made, some of the decisions that made led to his downfall. When God allowed Israel to choose a theocratic monarchy, a leader led by God, he required that the kings of Israel would promise to do three things. Men, don't touch the gold. Don't touch the girls. Don't touch the glory. And if you do that, if you keep connected to me, then that will, that will be fine. And, and, but, but Solomon lost his focus. He, he lost his way and, and, and he starts to wander and, and his appetite becomes crazy and his, his whole focus becomes on building his own uh, reputation and, and he develops a, an addiction to luxury and to all that wealth could do. And so he also found, as he was, as it says in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, that King Solomon was obsessed with women. And he marries himself 700 women and carries on a, a relationship, a legal relationship with 300 concubines. And they, not only do they are they there, but they lead him astray, lead him away from God. And uh, it, it wasn't that Solomon stumbled into some things. He made some very deliberate decisions that took him far, far away from God. And, and so today, we look at the fruit of those choices. We, we look at a man who is now in his late 50s, early 60s. He doesn't live as long as his father does. And, and, and he sits with a pen in hand, and he writes out of the fullness of his heart, and he writes about the regrets that he has about the disappointment. He, he talks about how disillusioned he is. And, and just before we go there, I, I want to read you some very clear instruction that Paul gives to the Galatian church in the, in the New Testament, but it applies to Solomon's life. It applies to you, to me this morning. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. I want you to say that little line with me, a man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. That's an important line, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. It's called the the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. You don't get roses if you planted rhubarb. You don't get coffee if you planted carrots. And if you forget about God and do only what feels good, go to where you're told not to go, choose to live a life of disobedience, there are consequences. If you sow to please yourself, you end up with destruction being the thing that comes out of your life. And Ecclesiastes is a book that's written near the end of Solomon's life. And the tone has changed from all of his other writings. His other writings have this passion, have this earnestness about them. And there's hope and there's promise. But this this book, the hope has disappeared and gone. And it's been replaced with cynicism. It's been replaced with disillusionment. It's okay if you have to to sort of take Ecclesiastes in bits and, and bites because it, it can be so discouraging to read. But we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. And, and the first thing it says is these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Some translations say that Solomon is identifying himself as the teacher, as it is here. And others will say that he's the preacher. When they interpret the teacher, it's like this. I'm going to tell you some truths. I'm going to bring some hard, difficult truths about life. When they say about preacher, I'm going to passionately deliver some of the hard lessons that I have had to learn and preach a sermon that is meant to wake you up and get you to leave your hope, your faith behind. Whatever the word is, Solomon wants you to walk away from this time together different than when you sat down to listen. And so he writes this very serious, very discouraging book. And he carefully leaves out his own name and his history because he sees nothing good associated with either. He gives you the last good thing he remembers. The the last memory that's worthwhile to him is I am King David's son. And and his credentials. I lived and I ruled in Jerusalem. That's not important. My research about life is what I want you to remember. I I find this to be important because it's an indication to me of how lost Solomon is. He, He he's lost the joy of leadership. He's forgotten the God that had called him to to rule and to have a significant part in the history of Israel. He, He has long since lost his sense of being the owner of godly influence. He's lost his identity. He doesn't know who he is. David would always sit with his pen in hand and write out, God is here. He's my shepherd. He's my strong and mighty fortress. He's the strength of my life. He's the influence. He gives me the ability to make a difference in the place that God has planted me. This has happened here. His faithfulness has kept me close. Solomon has lost all of that. Solomon has lost his identity, lost his leadership, lost his perspective. Verse 2, and this is the theme of the book. Everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. I've seen it all, I've had it all, I've done it all, I've tried it all, and I'm not a happy person. You read the scriptural account of Solomon's life and his achievements, and they are amazing. He, he wrote songs and proverbs, 3,000 proverbs. He, he built a temple that was listed as one of the wonders of the world. He, he was renowned for his understanding of life and nature and how it, how it worked, how the world worked. Leaders from around his world would come and sit with their mouth hanging open and just listen for days at what he had to say. He, des- he denied himself no luxury. He, he fed every appetite. He-, he never said no to anything that he wanted, and his budget never said no. The wealth that made it possible for him to have anything that he saw that he wanted. So he gets close to this, to to the end of his life, and he says, Let me bring you a bit of understanding. I've, I've had it all, I've done it all. And it's completely meaningless, it has no purpose. I was recently sitting in an airport waiting for my flight to be called, and right across from me was this electric poster that advertised that this week's jackpot was $60 million. Well, you, the, the plane was delayed for a half an hour, and so I took out a pen, and I took out a paper, and I, and I started making a list. What would I do with $60 million? How will, how will I spend it? Who, who will get it? Of course, I'll show up here and... Overwhelm the counters of the offering when I put my tithe in, maybe put it in in $10 bills and see how many days it takes them to count it. I, I'd give money to my kids and I'd, I, I, I'd look after some of my friends and I'd, I, I'd probably take Debbie on a couple of, of trips together and, and how would you spend $60 million and and what would that $60 million change in my life you know when, when, when people have won large lottery winnings often the very first thing they do is go to work and say I quit I don't care about two weeks notice you'll never see me again a couple of things came to mind you know, when you're sitting with a pen and paper with a mythical $60 million, it doesn't go as far as you thought it would. You know, it was pretty fast. I, I didn't even get to the bottom of the page before I'd given away or spent $60 million. But But the next thing that I recognize is that you have to decide how it's going to, how you're going to allow it to change you. Where will you live? Where will you work? Now that you can afford to do whatever you want to do, what will you do? I I love where I work. I I love the people I get to work with. I love what I do. So I'm not sure that we would make those kinds of changes, but, but wealth forces you to make some changes. All of a sudden, you You don't have to worry about expenses or budgets and plans. And before you know it, you're you're going on shopping sprees and going on trips. And and, and then you have to have places to hold all that stuff. If you buy a big boat, where are you going to store it? And then then you have to, to get gates to keep those cousins you haven't ever met from getting to your door asking for help. Privacy disappears. Security and safety become major concerns. Solomon has it all. Has more than it all. If if you Google history's top ten wealthiest people, number one is Solomon. He is estimated to be worth at the time of his death in today's money 2.1 trillion, that's with a T, trillion dollars. And here he's got it all, and he says, I want you to know life doesn't mean a thing. And we're only on verse 2. Verse 3. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? His frustration starts to to talk about the effort that he's expended and what has he got in payback. You, you work hard all your life, and what do you get? We're on this loop that repeats, and you don't get anywhere. C, or Tennessee Ernie Ford used to sing that if you worked in a coal mine and loaded 16 tons at the end of the shift, the only thing that happened is that you got another day older and deeper in debt, Saint Peter, don't call me now because I owe my soul to the company store. And that's really what he's saying. I've had it all. I've got it all, but I don't have anything. Solomon wasn't in debt. His income was was burgeoning, but he wasn't happy. The the king uses this phrase 27 times in Ecclesiastes, under the sun, under the sun. Nothing's new under the sun. It, It means that I know what happens in the earth. I know what takes place under heaven. Everywhere the sun shines, I can tell you this, it's not worth it. It's meaningless. There isn't meaningful return for what you invest. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Aren't you feeling all better about yourself and about life? And um, th- th- This is from a man who never had to cook a meal, do any laundry, change a diaper, fix a flat tire, fill out a tax form, or wait in line for anything. The things that, that nitpick at you. This is a man who traveled extensively, bought anything and everything he wanted, and it's all meaningless. The world is a con game. He says you spend your life and you're told you have to and get nothing of value out of it. You only, you only have to go this little way and you realize he, he really is a lost man. He, he has traveled a long time from that, from that encounter he had with God in the second message. Verse 4. Generations come, generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around and rises again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around it goes... Blowing in circles, rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. The water returns again to the rivers and flows out again. It's the loop. It's the endless loop. Generations come, generations go. Days start and days end. Wind blows the garbage to this side of the yard today. The wind changes and it blows it to the other side tomorrow. It's all a big messy circle that gets you nowhere, that brings no satisfaction, that adds no value, no pleasure, no enjoyment. Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. To what end? At this point, Solomon makes Eeyore look like the poster child for It's a Wonderful Life. It makes Eeyore look like Norman Vincent Peale. One more push through the darkness of regret that ends up being Solomon's life. Verse 8. Everything is wearisome. Beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. He's saying there's this... In each of us, there's this, this hunger... Hunger to know, hunger to do, hunger to be, hunger to e- experience. And it's not always about money. What holiday would you like to take and, and why? If you could go back to your 18-year-old self and, and know what you know today, what would you do differently? Would you do the same kind of work that you've done Would you go and take more schooling or less schooling? Would you spend your time differently? Would you keep the same friends? Would you keep the same family? If you had a magic wand and could change five things about your life right now, what would they be? This this is the stuff of fairy tales. This is... Why fairy tales are written, the thought of being unrestricted, unhindered, being able to do whatever we want, when we want, how we want. And and Solomon, who didn't experience most of the limitations that we experience, said wrong. No matter how much you see, it's never enough. No matter how much you experience, that hunger is still there and you want more. No, no matter what you hear, there's that desire for more. You just can't walk away content. The, the hunger gnaws and eats away at you day after day after day. It's all one big, tiresome journey that takes us nowhere and leaves us dissatisfied as when we began. Again, this verse 8 of chapter 1, and I can't tell you that the rest is much better. He's a lost man. I I want you to know that I'm now the same age as Solomon was when he wrote this. And I want you to know that I disagree with him wholeheartedly. I think that there is a satisfying way to live life. I think that there's some wonderful, satisfying aspects to life. I believe that it's more than just a tired old loop of disappointment and unsatisfied hunger. However, I understand how Solomon got to that place. He, he decided that he knew better than God. He knew what was good and what was bad. If God said no, Solomon said Essentially, well, I think you're wrong, and I'm going to do it anyways. (coughs) Pardon me. And when we do that, as we said from the very beginning, that has consequence. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. If he spends his time, talent, and treasure on things that have no value, at the end of his life, he will not be pleased with the outcomes. Over the course of my ministry, I've had the joy and the honor of standing at bedsides of men and women of faith who are about to leave this life and go into the next. And, and I can assure you that they don't leave this life the same way that Solomon does. They, they, they have this, this glow, this excitement, this, this passion. Their words aren't Bill, it's meaningless. You might as well give up now. It's almost always, God's been so good. He's been so faithful. It's talk about the heaven that they see from where they stand right now. It's so beautiful. The music is so incredible. Gloria Jones just a couple of years ago passed away and, and, and she was in the room and her daughters were around her and she kept talking. Can you hear the music? It's so beautiful. Where they talk about how joyous the reunion will be when we gather together again. Solomon didn't have it right. He he was speaking out of context. He was speaking as a self-centered existence. He he was reaping the results of how he had spent the second half of his life. Sadly, sometimes we we have to learn from someone's tragic mistakes. Solomon's story is recorded by God to bring hope that we will learn to live in a better way. So so there are some things that I want you to remember, some, some things that I want to point out to you. And the first is this. The choices that you make today have consequences and bear fruit in the future. You're here. You chose on a long weekend when you didn't have to be here and nobody would call and say, hey, where are you? It's church. You chose to be here. You worshiped, you prayed, you listened to this message, you connected with people and, and you may not know it now, but that puts you in a better place than if you had just stayed in bed and read the newspaper this morning. That, that choice will reap rewards. Th- those def- decisions fed your spirit, challenged your mind, opened your heart to God, and there will be consequences. I've been recently with a few people who are in senior years and are are facing all sorts of issues, and they they say to me often, you know, Bill, I wish I had have taken better care of this physical person called me. I wish I had have taken more care with my money of of my relationships throughout life. But at, at the time... That they could have made those decisions. They made different choices. And and that choice hasn't helped them in this chapter of their life. And their choices today determine the outcomes of, of things down the road. We need the wisdom of God to make good choices. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who will help you and not hold anything that he has back from you. The choices today make impact on tomorrow. Number two, more is never enough. We've talked about money this morning, but we have a a green grass addiction as people. If we could only live there, have that, take extra vacation time, own this, wear that, we would be happy. And Solomon says, I have it all. I have it all, and it isn't enough. I hear it often in our conversations here. Talking about, I can't wait till my vacation starts. It's, and, and that's fine. I think we start tomorrow and, and I'm kind of excited about it. You know, I, I'm kind of... But, but if vacation is the addiction and we're just lasting through this miserable time until we get to it, that, that's not really life either. That, that's not what he... He put us here for. If, if we live in such a way that we're, we're not living unless we're vacationing, that's not living. I'm, I'm called here to this place and, and to this leadership, and I really enjoy what I do and who I get to do with it every day. Well, no, let's be honest. There's some days that I think, let's just set a match to it all and walk away. But those aren't very many days. Paul says that he has had to train his spirit to understand that where I am right now is where God wants me to be, and so spirit, learn to be content. Don't be eaten up by a hunger for more, because more is never enough. The only only appetite that you let loose to go as far as it can go is the appetite that you have for God, for blessed are they who hunger and thirst after him. They will not be disappointed. See, the purposes of God is the only way to a fulfilling life. We have this call on our life. We have this God-shaped vacuum in each and every one of us. And until we live out the way that it, this life was meant to be lived, we're not fulfilled. We're, we're empty. We're wandering. We're wandering. We're lost. Jesus said, if you go after the kingdom of God wholeheartedly with all your strength, all your might, all your life, then all of these other things will be added on to you. You won't have need in your life. He'll look after that. And and that's not just a nice verse inside a nice greeting card. That's Jesus' promise to you, to me. Seek first the kingdom of God and it'll all be added on to you. There's always a cost. There's always a cost. I've told this story a couple of times, but there's some new folks here. In my second year of college, I discovered that the payphone at the end of the hall by my, my dorm room, if you picked it up, you could dial and you could call anywhere, and nobody asked for any money. I don't know how I discovered it. Maybe I forgot the dime. That tells you how long ago the story is. But I forgot the dime and I called and then I realized I never put any money in. So I thought, well, I need to check this out again. And so I called a friend in Quebec and a friend in Edmonton and an aunt in California. and, And I told two friends... And they told two friends, and so on, and so on, and so on. There was a dear brother who lived down the hall from me, and he got part of that. And one night in the middle of the night, having a softer heart than I did, he woke up and he thought, This isn't right. This is stealing. So he walked in to the office of the dean and said, um, the phone upstairs is broken, and I've, I've misused it, and I, I need to come clean. Long story short, they phoned the telephone company, and the co- telephone company said, we were about to call you. There's been 4, calls, on, or $4,000 worth of calls on that phone. This is 1977, so that's a lot of long distance. And so we all had to come. We thought we were getting it for free, but nothing's for free. There's always a cost. There's always a cost. Sat with a man recently who had an incredible story of, of being lost and away from God. But then God rescued him, and, and you'll get to hear the story in just a few weeks. How, however, I asked him how many of his friends have reached the same aspect of achievement that he's reached. And he said, well, none of them. In fact, many of them have died prematurely. They they made decisions that cost them their lives. And and he's gone on to pursue an education and a career, and, and he has loans that financed his choice, but he's alive and well and looking at a future, and many of his friends are not. It's always a good idea to sit and look beyond the price tag that appears on something, and do a quick cost analysis. What's this really going to cost me? When it's all said and done, how much of my life, how much of my time, how much of of my relationship will be eaten up by this purchase? Solomon had a lot of money and didn't have to look at price tags. And so he didn't measure value, didn't measure cost. But Ecclesiastes tells us and shows us that he was not financially broke, but he is broken. He's disillusioned, disappointed because he didn't count the cost. And it took him away from where he was supposed to be. E, you carry influence. And you have to be aware of that. I I don't care who you are or what you think of who you are. People are watching you. People are making decisions on what they will do or not do because of what they see happening in your life. It may be your children. It may be your neighbors. It may be your relatives or work-related relationships. We've prayed for this morning, and I want you to continue to pray for this week. Alina Horstia. Uh, she's been on this cancer journey for these last many months and she has this surgery on Wednesday and I want us to to be remembering her. She, she's always been a people connector. She's always known lots of people and has long, long relationships and friendships. And, and every one of her friends knows that she's has a Christian faith and that she's always been, that's always been a part of who she is. However, those friends are now being influenced by how her faith is sustaining her in this moment of her history. All of a sudden, people who have known about her faith but haven't asked her, all of a sudden, there are questions and conversations that are happening over this. She, she always has had that influence, but it's only now that some of those people who have known her for a long period of time are starting to come out of their shells and say, how does this work? How does your faith do that? Be sure you steward your, your influence wisely. I, I have some very strong personal convictions for myself. Not because I'm religious or, or legalistic, but I know that there are eyes on me everywhere I go. There's people watching me. Since we've been online, I, one of the most disconcerting things is to walk into a shopping mall or into a s- s- grocery store and have someone come up and you look at them and you don't know who they are and they say, hi, Pastor Bill, how are you doing? And... I don't think I know you. Oh, I watch you every week online. There are eyes watching you all the time. And we need to know how to steward wisely. I don't want to be the reason or the excuse that people are looking for to walk away from God. I want to be the reason people say, Hey, I like what He's doing in your life. How do I know Him? Number, number F you leave a legacy. There's a generation that follows you and takes their cues from what you do, what you say, what you believe. The the, the feelings that you have about money, its use, its power, most likely comes from or has been colored by the way that you grew up. Many of you will have heard words like this. Do you think money grows on trees? We can't afford that. Or some of you have heard, we can't do it today, but let's make a plan to save so that we can as soon as as we can. We influence the next generation. Solomon started off in good standing because of the legacy that was left to him by his father. A legacy of faith, a legacy of strength, a legacy of sensitivity to God and the leadership that God had in his life. And David also left a legacy, a bank full of money so that Solomon could build the temple of God. And and David set Solomon up for success, left him strong, left him a kingdom that was in good order and and had a bright future. And, And Solomon was better because of that legacy, but Solomon forgot about it and and started off in good standing because of the legacy that his father left. Uh, but, But he left his son a big, fat mess. God said to Solomon, your son will have the rulership of this country ripped out of his hands. The kingdom will be shredded. I I will leave him a little bit of Israel to rule over because of my love, my appreciation for your father. But you have lived in such a way, Solomon, that you have harmed future generations. I, I want to live in such a way that my kids, my future grandkids, have a legacy that stands them in strong position. I want to deal with my mistakes. I want to clear up and make sure my sins don't go down a generation because they weren't dealt with. I want to talk to my kids about the important things in our relationship. You need to know that these two that are on the front pew here, they're really good, but I haven't always been the best dad. I haven't always had things in order. I haven't always said the things that build them up. We have a bit of a, bit of a joke. Uh, we would leave church and we'd be going to someone's house and they, they cringe when they hear this, but I would say, listen, today we're going to this house and there's zero tolerance policy in place. You behave yourself or there's going to be trouble. And they keep reminding me that that's going to cost me thousands of dollars in counseling fees. If I could go back and just... Pull all those times in. Not have ever said it. I've made some serious mistakes as a parent, and I want to make sure that those things are cleared up and cleaned up, made right, and that they inherit strength, they inherit faith, they inherit life from both Debbie and I. Let's not think about ourselves and what we want and what we need. Let's focus on the next generation. You see, when my world shrinks to the size of my need, my pain, my issues, then it's a very small, meaningless world. And that's what's happened with Solomon. I find it all meaningless, there's no purpose. I often mention, gee, I often mention this, and not everybody understands it when I say it. I'm glad you're in class today because there's a final exam. There's a moment in time when each one of us will stand in front of God and we will give account for our words, for our actions, for our stewardship of our time and our finance. There are some very interesting word pictures that are used about that appointment. One is that we'll have everything in front of us that we've accumulated And all that we've done and all that we've accomplished will be sitting there before God and we will be watching and then it will be tested by fire. And and the things that are of value, the things that have eternal worth will remain and all the other fluff, all the junk and worthless bits and pieces of life will be gone. I, I attempt to think about that on a fairly regular basis. I attempt to ask in in five years, in in ten years, in eternity, will this really make any difference at all? Sometimes the answer is a resounding yes, and sometimes it's a flat no. But that understanding, that that consciousness should govern the way that I live my life. If Solomon would have kept to the track that he started on, history would have been a lot different than it ended up being. Please don't forget today and tomorrow and through the years that God gives you, don't forget there's a final exam. I, I, I want to add one more tidbit. David, will you come? It's, it's about regret. And, and it's something that God said about Israel's first king. He, he was a man who started out well, but again finished in a miserable way. The prophet that God sent to to find him and anoint him and put him in office. His name is Samuel. And Samuel had had been invested, had loved Saul very much. But one day, he was seeing things that weren't right, things that weren't good. and, and, And Samuel was summoned by God to come into God's presence Imagine Samuel's sorrow and heartbreak when he's summoned into the presence of God and God drops this bomb on him from 1 Samuel chapter 15. God says to Samuel, I am sorry, I regret that I ever made Saul king. For he's not been loyal. He's not been loyal to me and he's refused to obey my commands." And Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night long. I regret that I invested time, invested hope, invested life in King Saul. He, he, he's disappointed me. He's wandered away. He's allowed his heart and leadership to become corrupt. He's been stubborn. His heart is rebellious and like stone. He's not built the kingdom. He's caused the kingdom to be weak. And we've started to see it destroyed. And and, and Samuel, heartbroken by this regret of God's, and he, he's up all night. He's pacing all night. It kept him in prayer. God, is there something we can do? Is there something that we can say? Is there some way to jolt him out of where he is now and bring him back? God, what can be done? God says he's, he's made a choice. He's, he's decided, and there's nothing that we can do. I read that verse and I I recognize that there are a long line of wonderful people through all of the 63 years of my life who have invested who they are in me. I've been called into rooms of Sunday school teachers and elders and deacons that knew me from the time I was brought the first Sunday into church. And I've been told by those men and those women, we knew God had his hand on you and I've prayed for you almost every day of your life. There are people in this room who pray for Debbie and I and for for our family and for the staff. They they pray for us regularly almost every day. I, I recognize that there have been some amazing people who've invested in me, prayed for me, supported me, loved me encouraged me, stood up and defended me. And I don't want to disappoint them. I I, I don't want them to be sorry that they've taken the time. I I, I want them to share and and be happy about the way that my life has been carried out. And that's important to me. That's in front of me. I'm, I'm a bit of a People pleaser, but that, that's not what I'm talking about right now. I, I'm talking about I just want them to feel like they've got some return on their investment. But but even more important than that, I don't want God to be disappointed. I, I don't want God to, to regret his trust in me. We said last week that the scriptural pattern is is that we're not is we're we're in danger when we're younger, but we're more in danger of losing our way in the second half of life. Scripturally, more, more men, more women have failed in the second half of their life. And so I'm in a dangerous zone right now and I need, I need to make choices that honor God and honor the investment that people... I, I, I don't want God to regret. I, I want to stick close to Him. And the closer I am connected, the less chance there is to live in regret, to infect other people with a cynicism that doesn't bring life and to destroy what God's purpose. Will you stand with me? I thank you for being here this morning and I just want to pray over you. Father, it's a holiday weekend and I should have probably preached something a little more cheery and a little more light. But God, we're not living in a time where we can be Christian light. We have to be the light of Christ in this day and age. And so I thank you for the life of Solomon because it, it shows us what not to do. When, when you took David to school to learn how to be a king, you didn't send him to King University. You sent him to Saul's court to learn how not to. And, and, and so here's Solomon and he's teaching us some things. God, I pray that you'd make us wise in our decisions. I pray, God, that you'd make us careful about the way that we speak and the way that we think, that we wouldn't embrace stuff that doesn't have an eternal value. That, God, some of the arguments that are going on right now that really don't have any anything to do with who you are, what's going on, that God, we'd let that go and we'd focus on who you are and what the plan is for our life. There's not one person in this room that doesn't have a call on their life. There's not one person in this room that you don't want to meet face to face and speak about this season of their life. There isn't one person in this room that isn't isn't upset by our enemy who wants to, to bring in wrong choices that will take us off course. And today, in the name of Jesus, I'm praying that we would set our, our face like flint towards your will and your way. That, God, we'd find ourselves in places where we're listening for your voice and looking into your word, and that we are being changed day by day, not to become stronger in ourselves, but to become more and more like Jesus more and more like his his life-giving self, that you'd find in us the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating. I'm praying that you would encounter every one of these people in a powerful way during this summer, that you'd speak words, that they would have this encounter, that they would know that they know that they know that there's a a hand on their life and that they have to be careful about who they are how they live that life. I pray, God, that you'd remind us that there's a final exam. That, God, we're going to have to give an answer for the resources that you've put into our hand, for the time that you've allowed us to walk on the planet, for 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 the way that we speak to one another and the way that we treat one another and the way that we operate and conduct our lives. Let your word come alive in our hearts. Let the Spirit speak to us clearly and definitely. Let let our fellowship be so full of God that we're transformed into your likeness, we pray. I pray your blessing and your safety on each and every one. I pray, God, that you would bless them in their comings and their goings, that you would give them rest and that you'd give them peace and that you'd grant to them the desires of their heart, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.